Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I cannot change the fact that you have a leukemia, lymphoma, myeloma. I can't change the outcome, but I can make a difference in the time that these people are in my care. And that's what I focus on. That is the chairman of the Leukemia Foundation Australia, Beverly Marolo. And this is episode 222 of the Osher Ginsburg podcast. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg and this is my show, a show where each week I have a conversation that you get to be a part of where at least once, if not more times, you'll cock your head to one side, looking up at something on the wall and go, oh yeah, that's a different way of thinking about things, isn't it? You might even reach for that little button on the dash, rewind things 10 seconds and go, hang on, hang on, let me just hear that one more time. That, that sounded like it was for me. I guarantee, I guarantee that you'll hear something that you need to hear today. All about shifting the paradigms on this show. This is episode 222, the Richie Bano episode. Episode, say it with me, episode 222. Oh, I miss you, Richie. My summer's not the same without you. Oh, it's great to have you here. I'm stoked to get Beverly Marolo on the show today. She's the chairman of the Leukemia Foundation Australia. She has a fantastic story to tell. Uh, she's celebrating the 20th anniversary of the world's greatest shave by doing the world's greatest shave. Beverly is in her 70s, and she's not afraid of you or me or anything. And I'm uh, stoked that we get to uh, have a chat with her today because she's a pretty great human being to have met, and I'm stoked that you get to have a listen to what she has to say today. To check in, oh, look, I'm going to have to be honest with you. This week's been a tricky one. We had uh, council cleanup on Friday, 
uh, hard rubbish uh, if you're in another part of Australia. It's, yeah, you know, it's the night where the local council sent around a different kind of truck to pick up all, like, the, the dead IKEA furniture and old Christmas trees and other things you can't shove in your wheelie bin, just general crap that you accumulate during your life. And uh, I still had a lot of stuff that I needed to get rid of that I brought back with me uh, from when I was living in the USA. Boxes I honestly hadn't opened in years, and I'm kind of ashamed to say it. Some boxes I hadn't opened since I packed them to move to the US in the first place. And look, you've you've all unpacked a box that you haven't opened for ages. You, you open up a box, you pick up an object, and boom, that memory just hits you. Now, now some of the stuff that I'm finding, some of the boxes I'm opening are from a very different time in my life when circumstances were very different. And it's loaded with emotion. It's like an emotion-filled IED is shoved and hidden into every single box just waiting to explode. But I've got to go through that stuff because there's all kinds of things in there that I do want to keep, but just so much that I just don't need and there's no need for me to hold on to this stuff. Some of this stuff goes as far back as 2009, 2010. I'm Indiana Jones going through this stuff. But it spans this collection of things, of objects, memory-filled objects spans a huge time in my life. Uh, Since that time, I've been divorced, sober, unemployed, crazy, re-employed, less crazy, married, and very happy and not so crazy. So in each box, there's, there's like a mix of every single one of those things. That's a heavy deal. It's a heavy deal to go through, and it's cumulative. Each box just kind of leaves me with a lingering memory or a feeling. It's a bit hard to wash off, and as a result, I've been, um, I've been, I've been waking up early, which, as anyone with a different brain will tell you, is a bit of a red flag. If you set your alarm for seven and you're bolt upright at five fifteen, with a hit of anxiety, that's something you take notice of, and that's been happening the last few days. But what's interesting is that the anxiety that then sits with me through the day isn't a fear of anything in particular. It's a fear that I might get sick again. It's a fear of fear. Jumping at spiders, you know. I'm kind of trapped in that some days. Now, of course, I've been telling you for weeks that I've been doing okay off my meds. So it's tough to tell you that it's a tricky week because it's hard for me to turn on the mic and say, hey, things have been going great. Things aren't going great right now. Not to say it's going to be permanent, but, you know, it's it's tough, you know. I have to remember that for many years, I'd needed meds to be able to get through my day. And just because I don't want to be on them, just because I don't want to be on my meds doesn't mean that I shouldn't take them if I need to. But don't worry, I'm staying super close with my doctors. I'm talking to Audrey all the time. I'm not out on a limb living alone in a foreign country, not knowing anybody like I was last time. I'm staying as close and present as I can, I'm talking to my doctors all the time. Uh, I'm ready, ready to get back if, if I need to. There's no question about that. So let's, you know, let's see how things go. I, have, I do have a timeline. Me and my doctors have a timeline and uh, we'll see how things go. It's all systems go though, doing what I know that I can do. I was trying to explain it to someone the other day. You can't just come off meds and expect everything to be all right. That's like sawing one leg off your dining table and expecting it to be fine when you seat it for 10. It's going to fall over unless you put something in there to prop that leg up. So in that gap, I've 
shoving in like exercise, meaningful time with my family and as much sleep as I can get my hands on because those things are things that I know that I can control. So I'm working to maximize those things in my life. Um, another change I guess I've made this week that you might be interested in, um, I'm trying to have one hour tech-free in the morning, spending some time just writing, hopefully building in a habit of meditation, just not just being in the dopamine hits of my phone the moment my eyes open. So I'm, I'm trying to s just start with that and uh, see how you go. I'm not going to lie to you. Look, I'm a bit reluctant to tell you what I've just told you. Um, nobody wants to say that they're not doing as great as they want to be. But I know I'm not alone. I'm not, I'm not the only person who have, you know, not liked the side effects so much. They decided to go off meds and then gritting their teeth through life off meds, trying not to have to go back on. I know that I'm not alone in that. But don't worry, I am. I am ready to uh, get back on. If uh, when the timeline that me and my doctors are talking about uh, cl clicks over and I'm not where I want to be, then that's what I'll do. And you, you know, you've got my word on that. That's what's going to happen. Now, I know for sure I'm not alone because so many people emailed me this week to tell me that I'm not alone. Uh, and it's so wonderful to get your emails. Thank you very much. I do try to write back to everybody. Send us your email at gmail.com is where you can find me. Love. I just love the photos you send me of where you listen. I just, just love it. People are cooking. People are on the train. People are eating incredible vegan Buddha bowls in Singapore at their desk, working hard, putting the hours in, getting the nutrition in. Love it. Stoked. Um, actually, you know what? Actually, going through my garage, I actually found some things that um, I'd like to send some of these things out um, to say thank you for listening. So, if you're within the sound of my voice and you have access to a mailbox, go to – I've put up a little form so you can fill in your mailing address. It's osh.is, O-S-H.is, osh.is slash sending me mail. So, osh is sending me mail, O-S-H.is slash sending me mail and um who knows maybe one day when you're going through your bills going through bloody hell what's this, uh, what rates again you know what's this it looks like it's handwritten why does that person look like they were taught to write by a doctor and you never know what it might be in there so osh.is slash sending me mail. Go there and pop your mailing address in and you never know what might happen. So let me tell you about my guest today, Beverly Marolo, OAM, that's Order of Australia Medal. Uh, Beverly Marolo is the chairman of the Leukemia Foundation Australia and she is participating for the first time this year on the 20th anniversary of the world's greatest shave. People shaving their hair to raise money for the Leukemia Foundation. Bev has an incredible story. She grew up in country Queensland, trained as a nurse from the age of 16, became a registered nurse and is still a registered nurse and Beverly's in her 70s. Through her work, Beverly has, well, she had first-hand exposure to the challenges faced by people living with blood cancers. She started working at the Royal Brisbane Hospital in 1980 where she played she played a major role in planning, uh, in the planning and the development of the Leukemia Foundation bone marrow transplant unit there. And she goes into the reasons why, because before that, you just didn't have that in Brisbane. You just sucked in. You were a thousand kilometers away from the nearest place that does that. Um, 
yeah, she talks all about that. Beverly has dedicated her life to helping and caring for people living with blood cancers and elevating throughout her career to the point where she became the CEO of the Haematology Oncology Clinics of Australasia. She's amazingly high-profile, big gig. And then she retired. And in a strange twist of fate, Beverly was diagnosed with blood cancer herself. Her story is incredibly moving, so inspirational, and I really hope it moves you to support her in the 20th anniversary of World's Greatest Shave. Um, I couldn't find a short link for her, so I made another one. Sorry, so many URLs today. Osh.is slash World's Greatest Shave. If you go to that, osh.is slash World's Greatest Shave, click on that, go to that, and you'll be able to see Beverly's fundraising page. You can uh, help her reach her goal. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with the wonderful Bev Morolo. How are you, Beverly? Are we on now? We are on. (laughs) How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And you? I'm good. Thanks for coming. My pleasure. Thanks thanks for being here. It's good to have you here. It's a Um, pleasure to be here. You are the chairman of the Leukaemia Foundation. Of Australia, Of Australia. That's right. For folks who maybe don't know what... Why you need a foundation if you know leukemia comes in a life? What can you tell people a bit about what Leukemia Foundation does? Well, the Leukemia Foundation provides support for um, people with the blood cancer and their families. And when we're talking about blood cancers, we're talking about lymphomas, myeloma, and leukemias, the the, the range of acute and chronic leukemias and other related blood disorders. And um, what we're able to provide is uh, accommodation, support services such as financial support, grief and loss, uh, education, and uh, we also invest in research. So our mission, the mission of the foundation is to, um, the vision is to uh, cure and the mission is to care. So that's been our vision and our mission almost, uh, well, since inception in 1975. The, when we reflect back to 1975, the uh, management of, of leukaemia and uh, other related blood disorders had taken a quantum leap in the way we were able to treat people with a blood cancer. If you go back and reflect back a little earlier than that, by the, I guess, until I remember when I was training that... Because um, you're, regis- you're a registered nurse. I'm a nurse, registered nurse, and, yes. and you started as a registered nurse in Brisbane? No, I trained in Rockhampton. Even better. <laughs> Are you from Rockhampton? <laughs> I'm from Brisbane, but I've been to Rockhampton many times. <laughs> the perfect combination of, of massive cattle properties. That's right. Mining. Yes. Uh, military. It's yes. just... It's just it's all a great, there. It's a great city. It's, it's, it's all great city. And then the, the, the reef just is right right there. The That's reef right. starts around there. That's right. So it's... Uh, That's right. It, just just as, a, as a, an aside, I always remember when um, Mr Pilbeam was the mayor of Rockhampton that uh, there was a big flame tree outside his window. And, of course, when the flame tree was in flowers, 
the galahs and the parrots would all get stuck into the flowers and and uh, suck up the nectar in the flowers. <laughs> The chatter would be so loud that uh, it would interrupt council meetings or certainly that's the story that was put, put around in Rockhampton with regard to many council meetings <laughs> and the birds that interfered with their meetings. Oh, that's why they couldn't get it done. That's why they couldn't get it oh, done. Oh, I see. So you, tra- you trained as a registered nurse in Rockhampton. And, I did. And do you remember the first time you saw a patient that had leukaemia? Uh, well, at the time I didn't know that the patient had leukaemia because I trained in, um, I started nursing in, in 1956 as a 16-year-old in a little town called Springshaw when we lived in that country area and we were called assistant nurses in that era and my mother always wanted to be a nurse but um, back in that era, era she wasn't able to fulfil her ambition so she really looked forward to the opportunity of I, get, I guess getting vicarious pleasure through her daughter becoming yeah. a nurse and then uh, from there I went to Rockhampton to train as a registered nurse so that was in 1958. And I always remember uh, patients that would come in and you would care for patients. And it might only be 48 hours or 72 less than the week and the patient would succumb to their illness. And at times you wouldn't, um, you wouldn't know what that patient died from unless there was a post-mortem. But uh, it, it was really um, soul-destroying to see patients so ill and, and you could do very little for them. Yeah. So from from my professional career um, in the field of haematology oncology really didn't start until 1974. Right. So there was there is it because there was no treatment? People didn't know what leukemia was or how to identify it. I think it 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 was looking at at the tests and that were available. I'm sure that um, in blood tests they would have seen that there was a lack of platelets or a lack of white cells. But treatment at that particular time was more about, uh, my, as I recall, was prednisone and maybe uh, a few other drugs and supporting the patient's uh, infection with antibiotics and blood transfusions if they're anemic and just supporting that patient through that. But, but patients that are neutropenic uh, get overwhelming in- infections that unless you've got a, a real strong armament of drugs that you can treat that infection with, it's very hard for them. At, at that time, not too many patients survived. I just can't, you know, I look at my, my, my stepdaughter is about to turn 14 and I think mm. just a few years later she would be as old as you were tra- yes. training and here you are. I wasn't training at 16, I was... <laughs> I trained at eight, started at 18. But still, you're yes. 18 years old. You know, yes. you're still, you know, you think of someone who's 18 now, yes. how that might affect them. Like, oh, here's, I'm going to make up a name, here's Mr. Rogers. Yes. Uh, he comes in on a Tuesday. Yes. And then you just watch him basically slide off into death. That's right. 36 hours later. That's right. That's tough as an 18 year old if you've never seen that before. Yeah, I guess I guess it was a new world, and um, there was a certain excitement about what we were doing. We lived in the nurses' quarters, and uh, so there were there was a lot of support around us. Yeah, we had tremendous uh, support. We also lived under very very strict discipline, and uh, God help you if you were 
seen to be soft in any way or or not fulfilling your role as a, as a nurse. Ah, uh, okay. So I think that I think you know I'm not I, I'm I've often been often thought how did I feel that that way, but sometimes it seems it was so long ago that uh, it obviously didn't have the impact on me that prevented me from caring for people in the way I felt they should be cared yeah. for. But it's, that's interesting that there was that. And I kind of have an idea about the level of discipline that you, you're talking about in, in a time before human resources departments and stuff like that. that what some, was that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Someone must have just figured out the way to stop people, you know, getting too stressed out from their jobs or needing debriefing after, you know, as, as we do now with ambulance officers and, and, yes. and first responders. is like, okay, if we just keep super disciplined in the ranks and this is the kind of culture that we breed and, yes. and we, we yes. all live together and yes. we can talk about it. It's like that's, yes. a, that's you know, it's a way to deal with it. Yes. And um, yes. that's, that's, that's really interesting. So working at the, working at the RBH uh, in Brisbane... Uh, in the in the service, I I grew up in Brisbane, and my my, my dad transferred to the RBH in '79, so I'm very very familiar with the. Your dad the, was a rheumatologist. He doesn't work anymore. Ah, uh, so that's where I've recognised the name <laughs> Doctor Gunsberg. <laughs> I knew Doctor Gunsberg around the traps of the Royal Brisbane Hospital. That's my father. There you are. There yeah. you are. Yeah, so on, on, sat- on Saturdays, most people, Saturday morning, I don't know. Might- You'd be traipsing around the hospital with your dad seeing patients, I bet. Exactly. <laughs> there That's, you are. You know, but it was, what was interesting though, Bev, isn't that many people, the only time they ever went to the hospital was when someone that they loved or cared about was really, really, really sick. Yes. I went every Saturday. Yes. And it was fun. <laughs> I know it was fun. You know? I know it was fun because the same thing happened uh, within our wards too. The, the, if there were some really sick patients, you'd see people like Dr. Olson, Dr. Um, uh, and coming in to see the patients to make sure they were all right before they turtled off and um, went their merry way and tried to spend a little bit of family time. Yeah. And That's right. But what it, I guess what it gave me though, Beverly, is that any time a hospital came into my you know, life, any time I had to visit a friend or go in myself, it was never a worry for me. No. Because I was just so familiar with That's it. And right. my mum was a doctor too. Yes. And so it yes. was just, it was so familiar. Yes. And, but I know I would see people that I knew well, we'd go to visit someone together. Yes. And they would just turn yes. pale because hospitals were the place that people they loved died. Oh, that's right. My, uh, much like my husband. Really? He goes white, almost into shock if he has to go. Well, I'm, so I, I consider myself, I consider myself very lucky, yes. lucky in that in that way. When you were working at the RBH, yes, people were going to fairly extreme lengths so they could uh, undergo treatment. They would travel down and and yes. and, and, and keep in treatment and and, and like if, even sleeping in their cars. Is that true? That's right. That's right. How did you find out about it? Well. I went back. To, I went to the Royal Brisbane in 1974. You might remember we had the big floods then. Yes, we did. And they, there was a call out for um, nurses mm. to to uh, to help out through that particular time. But at the time, I had four young daughters. Uh, but fortunately, my mother lived with me. Two women living in a house was a little bit too much. So, because my mother was fanatical about cleaning, getting up early. So we agreed that I would, against my husband's wishes, who's uh, a European, an Italian, who says, my wife, my wife shall not work. 
And um, but anyhow, I was I was allocated to Ward One D, which was a medical and hematology ward, and uh, it was the old Florence Nightingale ward of forty two two beds, and we had the medical patients and hematology patients within that uh, ward, and hematology patients were tended to be isolated out onto the verandas. But at that particular time, and right up until about 2000, the only place that you could you, you were treated for specialist treatment for blood cancers was here in, was in Brisbane, and that was um, Royal Brisbane Hospital, Princess Alexandra, and they were the major treating hospitals. So therefore, pati patients from rural and regional areas throughout Queensland, anywhere pretty much outside the metropolitan area, had to travel to Brisbane. And uh, as you can imagine, uh, you know, uh, you, may be, you may be feeling a little unwell. You go to your doctor, uh, your GP in one of these areas, and uh, the next thing he calls you in and tells you that you need to be on a plane today or the next nearest plane or in your car to Brisbane for treatment because you have leukaemia or you have lymphoma, but you need to go for specialist treatment and you need to go now. At that particular time, there was very little accommodation. The Leukaemia Foundation was not uh, established. It was established in, in 1975. So therefore, um, what do you do? You pack your bags and if you can't find accommodation or you can't afford accommodation, there wasn't financial support uh, in that particular time. So we did find that um, people were sleeping in the cars. Their loved one was in the hospital, so at least they had the, they had the uh, confidence that they were being cared for. Don't worry about me, I'll just find wherever I can go so that I can be close to them. So that, that situation was there for, for some time and that's when the Leukaemia Foundation 75, although the Leukaemia Foundation was in the first instance established to ensure that we could bring to the people of Queensland these medical technologies that weren't uh, available to get the best outcomes. Mm. And it was the father of um, a patient of... Trevor's, who went to took him to the Holland Park's Lions Club meeting, and he presented a case for twenty thousand dollars to purchase this machine, and the the um, the meeting at the time said yes, they would support it, but they wanted to continue to ensure that the people of Queensland had access to the best possible treatments. And that's really how the foundation started. And it was the Lions Leukaemia Foundation for, for a number of years. But as the foundation grew, it became a little overwhelming for the Lions to continue to manage it. So they handed it over and it then became mm. the Leukaemia Foundation of Queensland. And then they were able to start helping... Um we bought the machine yeah. in no time. We bought the machine. It's interesting. the The health minister, who was the health minister at the time, who who was very scathing of Dr. Olson because he dared to criticise the system, actually became our patron. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful, isn't it? But I, I can't imagine. I, I guess what I'm thinking about it, you know, if you're a politician and you're beholden to your share, shareholders, your taxpayers, and you're trying to, 
you know, on one hand, you look at numbers, uh, you know, and you go, how am I going to say this $100,000 machine uh, is is worth it when there's potholes in the roads? That's right. And then you look on the other side of the road, street and then there's like a couple of sick 10-year-old kids. That's right. I couldn't imagine what it would be like to be that person, you know, to be put in this, like, you've got, you're the one that's got to make the call. That's, that's right. But when you're when you're in your environment and you're caring for these people, yeah. you're not thinking of what the health minister's going no. going through. No. You just want him to give me the money so we can make <laughs> do better. Yeah, absolutely. When did yeah. you uh, when did you realise that there was something beyond uh, your work as a registered nurse in the, in this field? When did you think, oh, I think I need to put a bit more in? Oh, I'd really want to be a bit more help here. Well, uh, actually, the it was in the late it was in the late seventies when we had um, the, the the situation in 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 the seventies in and I can only talk from seventy four onwards is, is when I went to the Royal Brisbane to work the the care of people with leukemia was abysmal. I had no knowledge of haematology when I started. Um, in the area, I was um, I was a raw recruit to this area, but I was a mother of four children and I was a wife. And what I saw, I had difficulty reconciling with what was happening. We had young mums, young dads, in where they were isolated, and um, you, you had to dress up, you know, in, in protective clothing. Not to protect yourself, but to protect the patient from transferring any any uh, bacteria or that to the patient. These people couldn't even hug their children. Mm. They couldn't cuddle. They could. Sorry, it still gets to me. Oh, <laughs> oh, sorry, no, I'm not. At reach. No, no, I get no. it. You know, it I was terrible. It was terrible. And I guess it was more through my ignorance of, of or lack of knowledge about haematology, but my emotional side when it come to being a wife and a mother and seeing, seeing that um, they weren't able to, you know, have that normal relationship or get that feedback that that these people really needed that that they need to, needed to know that um, they had a family and they mm. they were being uh, being embraced. So in 1978, we had a doctor Ian Bunce who came. He, he was trained at the PA hospital, went overseas and came back. And I thought this is a wonderful opportunity. New doctor. I don't know him. He doesn't know me. And uh, so I barged up to his office this day and said to him, I can't deal with this any longer. I said, we have to be able to te teach patients and their families how to care for themselves at home. And this is what I'd like to do. You know, we could teach people to give themselves injections. We could teach people to take their own temperature. The thing about, the thing about when you are neutropenic is that you have to keep a very close watch on your temperature because that's a, that's an indicator. Mm. If your temperature goes up, it's an indicator that you could be coming infected. So, you need to be in hospital, getting antibiotics, mm. and 
he just looked at me and said, well, if you think you can do it, let's try it. Brilliant. So that was a that was a big change from the medical profession, a little nurse, you know, trotting in yeah. here saying we can do this. So we did it and found that uh, and, you know, I, I was happy to give patients my phone number, which was something you sh- weren't really supposed to be doing, so that I was wa- wanting to make sure it was a success. So we did it and we set up a day oncology unit so that patients could come in on a day basis and we would assess them, make sure they were, they were okay, to be able to keep them out into that particular, into their own home environment. The other thing that he he actually did, because these patients were being nursed in a 40-bed ward, which is hard to imagine these days, he agitated for, we had a private, the Royal Brisbane Hospital had a big private um, floor and it was being it was being closed down, so he he really negotiated to get patients into single rooms because they had single rooms up there. Mm. So that was a, made a huge huge difference in the management of and the care of patients. We were then um, I was able to facilitate the transferring of patients from Brisbane to Sydney for bone marrow transplants. So that then gave patients best opportunity at the earliest possible stage of their disease to be able to have a transplant with the with the hope of uh, a better outcome mm. for for those people so by the by the early 80s we we had our day hospital going we had day uh, patients being able to manage a, you know a certain amount of their mm. care and including them being responsible helping them to be responsible for their care rather than as the nurse taking on your care. You're no longer a part of your health. You're just an object that we're looking after. Yes. No one can touch you. No one can go Uh, near you. No, you do as I say. (laughs) You're just a thing in the corner. We're going to poke things into you. It wasn't quite like that. but, but, but but that's it was, how it uh, might feel if you're. If, oh, I'm sure it If did. no one touches you with that no, gloves sure on for a did. couple of days or weeks, I'm it's sure going it to feel did. weird. So it was more about transferring yeah. some of the responsibility and some of the the uh, to be able to negotiate with the nurse or the doctor yeah. about what you can do, what I can do, my, you know, what they can do themselves, what yeah. I'm capable of doing, what I want to be able to Psychologically, do. Psychologically, it must, be, must have been so powerful what you did because, like, by involving people in something as simple as taking your own temperature, yes. you yeah. now have the locus of control is coming a little further within you. You're no longer being attacked by this mysterious thing no. that you don't know what it is and no. you, you, you didn't know about blood cancer yesterday and now yeah. you're overwhelmed. That's right. Now you actually have a little bit of control right. about it. That's um, right. And that would yeah. make an enormous difference yes. to people who are yeah. – I mean, I'm, I'm lucky in that I grew up in a medical household. So, mm. I, like I said before, I'm never, you know, worried or, no. or I have I'm, – I'm quite, um, what's the word, fluent in a, yes. lot of, in a lot of this kind yes. of language and concepts and stuff like that. What 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 happens uh, – what have you seen happens in, in families that uh, have nothing at all, at all to do with – they've been to the doctor five times in their life – and then suddenly one of their kids uh, goes to the doctor and then they get the phone call. What what can happen to a family when this phone call comes? Well, I think the initial shock, shock is, I don't think it's in, I don't really think it sinks in. I think they hear, hear the word leukaemia, lymphoma, 
death. It's a death sentence. Am I going to survive? They don't... Uh, you just can't take it all in. And, and I think that's the, the... How am I going to cope? What's going to happen? If it's, if it's a, a breadwinner, what am I going to do? What's going to happen to my family? It's everything sort of overburdens you when, when you get that. Some people just go into absolute shock and denial. That's not happening to me. can't be me. So there's, I, I think every response is an in individual response so that uh, it's, a little hard to, it's a little hard to talk. But across the board, it really is a, a, an awful shock to most people. Yeah. Because a lot of people, a lot of the people in the community don't know about blood, blood cancers. You t t we, we, it's only in this last 10 years, I think, that we've sort of put lymphomas, myelomas, leukaemias under the umbrella of blood cancers mm. so that um, we're still trying to get the community to think in terms of that group of disease, diseases as a blood cancer. And uh, I think it makes it a little bit harder when we talk about blood cancer, but I haven't got blood cancer, I've got leukaemia, or I haven't got a blood cancer, I've got lymphoma, or I haven't got blood cancer, I've got myeloma, but they're all under that umbrella. So we, we have to make sure that when we're talking about blood cancers, people are understanding mm. exactly what, what we're talking about. But when, we, when you've only got to mention the word cancer and people go into a tailspin Yeah, in most instances. When I talk, I used to talk, I ask my mum about this all the time because she, you know, you're a kid and you, how, yes. how's your day today, mum? She goes, oh, it's a bit tough. I lost someone. Mum was an anaesthetist. Yes. Yeah, we yes. lost someone today. And I, oh, yeah, I was kind of curious. I was, yes. I don't know, five. <laughs> you know, what was that like? You didn't relate to that, though. Well, well, you know, but. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You know, you're you're interested. I mean, yeah. I think. Oh yes. How how can you how can you talk to someone about this this you know that this this is a possibility uh, when the diagnosis comes through? It's difficult. It is difficult, and. What I think, um, or what I tend to focus on is the here and the now, what we need to do now, what we need to be able to do to get you over the next few days, the next week, the next, the next month. 
so that and and to provide the the best possible care that you can for for patients so that you can give them the best opportunity to get the best outcome the thing as a nurse is that and i learned this very early in my career with um, uh, caring for patients was that i can't change I can't change the diagnosis. I cannot change the fact that you have a leukaemia, lymphoma, myeloma, or whatever it may be. <clears throat> I can't change the outcome unless I'm neg negligent in what I do. And then maybe you, you, you could make some of the outcomes a little worse. But I can make a difference in the time that these people are in my care. And that's what I focus on. So it's a focus on do you understand what your diagnosis is? Is there anything you need to know? And it, this will take you time. It's so overwhelming to begin with, but we'll continue to talk about it. Do you understand the type of treatment that um, the doctor has ordered for you and the effects that treatment can have then then you're looking at your um, home situation your support your support mechanisms what is it that we need to do to help you to get through this period mm. in, in this part of the journey you're on because the journey could take months it could take years so that we need to plan from today in steps mm. And, and set little goals yeah. for what we're wanting to achieve and not to be disappointed. If you don't reach that goal today, it may be tomorrow or it may be that we have to turn turn things and, and tweak things to be able to reach some of those goals. When you – it's a part of your job that you deal and you work with very, very sick people. And is it still – are you still able to – I don't know. Disassociate yourself a bit with with it when when they or if they do pass away, or does it does it does it still affect you? I go out and kick the dunny door down <laughs> really? when somebody passes away, and yeah. uh, but I have to move on. Um, what as uh, I learnt this when I first um, went to the royal and were, was faced with the situation of the mums and the dads. And I found myself one day, I, I was obviously stressed to the max and didn't, didn't know I was, didn't appreciate what was happening to me at the time. And um, I think it was only about six months into being allocated to that ward and I found myself st standing in front of the crash trolley and looking out and seeing nothing, absolutely nothing. And I, for the minute I thought... Bloody hell, I'm going blind. I can't see a thing. And then that seemed to pass and I'm standing there thinking, what am I doing here, standing here? And then that passed and I thought about it and thought about it and realised that I was wallowing in my own self-pity. I was feeling sorry for myself. I was feeling sorry for everybody. I was thinking um, about my own kids what would happen if it was me? 
Pardon me, here I go again. <laughs> I sound like an emotional twit, don't I? No, it's, oh, it's, <laughs> yeah. it means you care, Beverly. It means you so, care. Yeah, so that, that was when I decided that I can't change things. But what can I do and what can I, my colleagues and I do in that time that we're caring for patients? And that's how I moved on. And as I said, when it, you, you always get close, you always get very close to patients that you, um, you care for. And I think that what happens that is that depending on what age you are at the time or where you are in your lifespan is how you relate to different people. If it's, if it's a mum, you relate as a mum. If it's, if it's a dad, you relate in a sort of a different, different way, but you still understand. If it's, if it's a, a mother figure, you know, mm. an older person, you tend, to, you tend to bring your life experience in that life cycle to that particular person. And it's, it really is all about the individual care, ensuring that you're able to... You're not just a collective group of patients. You're an individual person with mm. individual needs. And um, I still, I still today, I can, um, I can go back and I can relive many, many of the people that um, we cared for. We had a fantastic team of um, medical team caring for a lot of those, those people. And a, a lot of patients didn't make it. And um, I still have messages from families, uh, as as we all do today. But you still have to you still have to move on after each each person, because otherwise you're no good to anybody. Yeah. If you don't. Thirteen thousand people will be 13, diagnosed yes, this year yes. with a form of blood cancer. Yes. We're not the biggest country in the world. No, probably the best. Yes, having lived overseas in a few places, I can guarantee that. But 13,000 people means that everyone listening knows someone. That's right. Who has been or will be. That's right. Affected by this. That's right. How can we as friends, as family, be there when you get that phone call? You go, this person doesn't call me much. And they say, hey, I've just had a scan. Mm. How can we be there for them? If they are diagnosed, I think I think the best thing to be able to do is to listen, listen with your ears, listen with your eyes, and listen with your heart to what they're saying. And I think the most important thing is not to be relating stories about, oh, my friend had this, and my, oh, my friend had that, and um, the stories about how they did or how they didn't do. I think it's, and just think about the advice you give. Sometimes well-meaning advice can cause more concern for, for a, a person that's just been diagnosed. What are you talking about? Either. I've been Googling and spirulina. Exactly. Is, you know, if you combine oh, spirulina. I can, tell you, I can tell you a wonderful story about spirulina. Oh, please, hit me. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> Do you really want yeah, to? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, go. Well, when, when I first heard about spirulina, I thought it was great, so I got stuck into the spirulina and I did lose weight, so... This um, particular haematologist, I was talking to him about the spirulina and um, 
I actually bought him some. I said, try this. This will help you to lose weight. And, of course, the first time he went to the toilet, he was horrified. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Never touched spirulina. Oh, really? He hasn't. <laughs> uh, doctors are the worst. I've got a bad time for parents. They're the worst. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, but in this in this day and age, there's someone who's going to say, oh, I've been Googling and there's someone, oh, yes, in, there's someone yes. in Texas who reckons if you combine blackboard chalk with caffeine and then you That's mince it right. up and you, you, you infuse it with herbal tea, That's it'll right. kill everything. You know, it must be difficult to, to combat this, you know, wealth of information that used to be a single point of he's the only person that knows how to help me. It and is. now it's like, well, what do they know? I found an internet article that tells that's, me the other thing. That's it right. It must be difficult. It is difficult. And I do it myself. I go on to Dr. Google if I, if I want to know something. But the, the most important thing is to be well-informed. Yeah. And to get your information from credible sources, and there are many credible sources, and certainly the foundation provides lots of good information when it comes to um, blood cancers and and uh, understanding the disease and understanding the treatment. But that's not going to stop us from getting getting information. And the most important thing I think is what people cling to is hope. And if you think that um, one of these other out there treatments is going to help you to cure a cancer, it's going to be very hard not to want to try something, especially if you're finding that conventional treatment's not going as well as uh, you had hoped. So it is, it's, it's getting the balance right, mm. I think, and just making sure that you get the best information to make a good informed choice because there are a lot of people out there who are filling their pockets on the back of people who who um, cling to the hope that they are able to cure yeah. whatever it is that they have. Um, a friend of mine once asked my dad about stuff like that, you know, uh, would someone asked him about. I can imagine what he would have said. <laughs> well, dad, you know, being the, the you know, clinical man that he is, someone asked him, I don't know if it was about some kind of extract that apparently helped yes. uh, rheumatoid arthritis patient. He goes, well, what do you think about this? He goes, yes, yes. Uh, we have a name for, he goes, I've, I've been told it really works. And dad yes. says, without drawing, he did that, yeah, blink, he goes, we have a name for things that we use that work. It's called medicine. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else yes. hasn't been like yes. medicine is a thing that has been through so many yes. trials and processes that's... and proven cases and replicated by people who don't want it to work and then they yes. go, well, okay, it does work. Yes. Yes. That's what it is. It's, yes. it's not someone just didn't wake up one day and go, well, we'll no, give that's right. a box of cell in a go. That's they right. had to prove uh, and that's prove right. to the yes. detractors yes. that it worked. Yes. That's, that's science. Yes. That's, that's, that's yes. what it is. That's but, right. yes, when you, when you talk mm. about people filling their pockets off the desperation yes. of others, but yeah. who wouldn't, Beverly? Who wouldn't, like you've got a six-year-old that, you know, is, oh, is dying. Who wouldn't go to the ends of the earth? Of course you I will. I get it. Of course you will. It, it would take enormous fortitude to not chase that's every right. single thing down. That's right. It would be... That's right. It'd be very, very difficult. Um, you you had a, uh, uh, you went on to have a have a career working in the uh, uh, oncology industry, and yeah. you worked uh, at, a, at a very high level. You're CEO in that industry, um, and uh, you know then you start working as a chairman of the Leukemia Foundation. 
Um, I don't work as, as the chairman. <laughs> don't tell them. I sit on a board too. I, uh, I sit on a board as well and I'm very proud. Of I'm a director. Oh, I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that I'm, I'm the chairman, but I'm also very proud of the, uh, the team that we have because the team that we have in the foundation from our CEO, Bill Patchdown, they make the board look good. <laughs> I would say exactly the same about Jack Heath at Sane Australia. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Jack and the team do an incredible, yes. incredible job. They do. Um, they do. And, you know, I just get to be around and go, yeah, that's a really good idea. <laughs> we do contribute though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to say I don't. And I'm very grateful that I get to be a part of helping Jack yes. do what he does. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you've been, you've just spent a life working in this industry and then one day you got that phone call, didn't yes. you? What was that like? Um, I guess when I got the phone call, it was um, about two or three days before my before Christmas. And I thought, oh, bugger. You know, Christmas is coming up. I had all the family coming down. And I thought, I'm not going to deal with this now. I don't have, I don't have time. I felt that... Um, it was early stage, so I wasn't um, I wasn't too concerned about it. And also, the gastroenterologist wanted me to have a PET scan to see whether, at the first instance, he, he, I was told I had lymphoma of the stomach, but I didn't know what stage or anything it was, except that it felt that it was early stage. But to make sure that it hadn't gone uh, metastasized anywhere, I had a PET scan. And the PET scan showed, whoops, she's got a hot spot in her breast, which is possibly or more likely to be a, uh, a breast cancer. So I thought, oh, bugger again. And um, it, it, it was, um, yeah, that was two days before Christmas. And I thought, this is, my, this is my family's Christmas. So anyhow, we went on Christmas. I didn't tell my husband, didn't say anything about it. So... <clears throat> The week after, I needed to go for a mammogram. So then I had to fess up to what was what was going on. So I told him. So he was annoyed with me. And I said to him, well, we were here as a family. Nobody needed to have their Christmas spoiled. And I think that then when I had the mammogram and the, um, the biopsy done to find out it was still early stage, I think I wasn't too perturbed about it because... Knowing once again, my philosophy is, well, you've got it, you'll just get on and manage it, management. But what would have been the worst possible scenario for me was to find out that it was um, stage three or stage four and I hadn't picked it up. I would have been so bloody angry with myself and so embarrassed to think that I had worked in this field for so long and I hadn't picked up the cues. Mm. That would have been that would have been uh, more of a, a disappointment to me than the fact at that stage that I had it. And then I thought, oh well, I'm now about, I'm now on both sides of the fence. Yeah. I've been there, done that, worked in it. Now I'm walking. Now I walk in the same shoes were as a lot of other people. Were you did. able to uh, hand over the control of your own treatment? Was that tricky? Well, uh, the treatment for the uh, lymphoma was only oral treatment. Okay. So that was easy, but for the breast cancer was um, radiotherapy. 
and each time I had the radiotherapy treatment, I tended to have the same radiotherapist and uh, pop in there and our conversation went on for 30 days. So... No, I didn't. I, okay. di- I didn't interfere. I behaved myself. <laughs> All right, yeah. What was beneficial to you having had the experience that, that you've had when you suddenly found yourself a patient? Um, I, guess, I guess knowing what that first phone call was like, uh, it was a little bit of a silence on the, on the end when I was told and just said, oh, bugger, you know. And then the second and the second time, I guess it was being faced with with the situation of yes, it's cancer. Don't know at this stage uh, what it is. Knowing the relief that well, you know, I don't have to have a mistectomy. Um, I, I, my my goal is to live another thirty years, which will take me into a probably into, I'll be over a hundred. And knowing that yes, I've still got that opportunity. To do that, I guess, uh, and and understanding, having some understanding, not a deep understanding, because it's what I've got's not life threatening at this stage anyhow, and I'm I'm uh, coming up five years, so it sh- I should be in remission, but having some understanding of of some of the emotional effects, and uh, as well as some of the uh, the day-to-day um, inconveniences that, that you have to put up with. Yeah. What was it like to tell your family? That was hard. Yeah. Are you going to die, Mum? I said, like, oh, no, I'm not going to die. And I think that was the first thing, that, that was the first thing each girl said to me, and I said, no, I'm not going to die unless, um, unless you arrange something. But... Uh, <laughs> But at this stage, no, I'm not going to die. I'll be here. I'll be here to to annoy you, as my mother always used to say. When uh, what comes around goes around, and I said, I want, I want that to go on for a few more years yet. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're around the corner from uh, the big fundraising yes. uh, peak of yes. the Leukemia Foundation's yes. year, the Shave for yes. a Cure. Twenty years it's been going. This is the twentieth year. Yes, yeah. the world's greatest shame. Yes, it's ex- extraordinary. It is. It is. I remember when people like Kim McDonald, Marie Filippini, when they first um, launched the world's greatest shame, that um, there was a little. This this is fantastic. You know, everyone was behind it. Everyone was excited, but there was that little bit of doubt. Was because we've done so well in the first year. Don't expect it to continue, but this is what twenty nineteen years later now, and it it is continuing. It's it's a it's a wonderful event, and I think that when you really delve into the shave and you go back and talk to people that shaved, what it's done for so many people is that it's built their self esteem. It's brought them out as a person. They feel as though. I've really achieved something and I'm doing something for somebody else. I know my own granddaughter has, um, and she won't mind me saying this, she she had a number of um, illnesses as, a, as from 14 years old until they actually diagnosed what her, her problem was. She was diagnosed, eventually diagnosed with a, a cancer on the thyroid as a, young, as a younger adult. But 
she became so introverted and so focused on herself. She decided to do the shave last year. This kid has blossomed. It's unbelievable. She's not She's not as focused on herself. She got out there. She was shy. She lacked self-esteem. She, she was um, shy in company. She got out there. She, she talked to people. She went around asking for support. And she raised $10,000. And, and this is not, not because she's my granddaughter, but this is, these are the stories that you hear over and over Little kids coming saying, I want to shave for my mum, I want to shave for my dad or granddad or, or relatives and little things sitting up there getting their head shaved. It's just it's 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 just a scenario that's, you know, warms the cockles of your heart as they say. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever done it? No. But I'm doing it really? this year. I'm shaving this year. It felt right for me this year. Yeah. It felt right. So I'm shaving on the 14th of March. Any support would be gratefully. I'm here to help. Uh, uh, if you'd like to give me your email, I'll send you a. I'll put a link in the show notes. <laughs> I'll, I'll absolutely let people know how they can, how they can contribute to you. Yes, but yes. Um, unfortunately, it always happens when I'm in production for a show that doesn't air for six months later. Oh, I later. don't need you to shave. All I need, need you to do is put your hand in your pocket. Oh, I can do that. <laughs> Oh, that's no problem. That's no but, problem at all. Yeah, but, but I think the shave is, you know, when you think of the shave and the, it is a big event in mm. our calendar. It it uh, does bring in a, a huge amount towards our our budgeting. And if you think in terms of when you, when you look at blood cancers, go across the nation and 80% of people who are diagnosed with a blood cancer uh, are not wealthy people. They, they need support from financial support, the medical support as well. They're not, they're not wealthy people. So that's a huge number. When you think of your 16,000 16, a year, that's a big portion of those people are not, are not uh, wealthy people. Mm. And certainly when it's a treatment that is... Uh, it's long. It, yeah. Arduous. And there's parts of it that, that, that our health system can't take care of. No, like you said, like right. accommodation, if you've got to come in from Roma or something, that's right. you know, and you've got that's to, sorry, right. Roma's a regional part of, of Queensland, it's that's west, right. a couple of hundred k's. Um, if you've got to come in and, you know, if you're there with your, 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 your husband, your kid, that's right. you know, and you've got to be there to support that's right. them, that's right. Medicare can't cover your Airbnb, <laughs> you know. No. We do have um, what we call a patient transit scheme that, the, uh, that goes across Australia but uh, it depends on, on where you are. In Queensland, mm. uh, the Queensland government provides $60 a day. I hope I'm getting this right, $60 yeah. a day. And I think, I think in, in other, other states it probably ranges from $30 to $50 yeah. a day. But if you're staying in a motel, that's... That's uh, gone. That's breakfast. There's a, That's not uh, a lot of fun. Someone sent me a photo the other day. Um, people send me photographs of where they listen to this show. That's oh, not, right. Yeah, yes. yeah. And someone sent me a photo the other day. They're from country Victoria and mm. they one of their kids has a, a blood cancer and uh, they've just moved to Melbourne for the year. Yes. That's just what they did. Yes. They just like, yes. go. I hope they're in, they're in our new apartments in uh, <laughs> across from the, the hospital in Victoria. <laughs> that would uh, be nice. Yes. I, I certainly hope. But I look, I remember... 
it's extraordinary. Like in my in my lifetime, how far this has come. Um, he he ended up being my best friend um, when I was a kid. Uh, we were nine, and he was diagnosed with leukemia, and mm. he was not at school one day, and they had a whole. This is before Sunsafe, all right. Yes, but they yes. had a whole school assembly yeah. and say, mm. so there's a kid in grade three. Mm. He's going to be wearing a hat. This is why yes. he's going to be wearing a hat. Yes. Please, yes. nobody pull off his hat. Yes. Okay, yes. okay. Thanks. And then it, it, he was pretty sick. He was. He looked yes. like a paddle pop stick, like a chopper chop. Mm. His mm. head was mm. huge, mm. and he was mm. skinny, 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 skinny. Mm. Um, but he got healthy, and you know, yes. I lost touch with him after high school. But he ended yes. up, you know, having a, yes. an amazing life. But yes. to come then. Now, I think I think he was actually part of fa- the foundations of Canteen. I think oh, he ended up okay. being, yes. being in, around yes. that. Um, but then to come to now where yes. you, you have a world where, you know, a, a, a kid will show up to school um, with, with no hair, uh, I should say, the, the drugs kill new growing cells. Yes. Hair, hair is a constantly replenishing new that's growing right. cell. That's right, and it's that's, one of the first. That's why the hair falls out. Exactly. Okay, exactly. So because you're trying, to, you're trying to kill the, yes. the mutation that's cells. Right. That's what you're trying to kill, and so that's why the hair falls out. And then you hear stories of like you know the the kid showing up uh, with no hair, and everyone kind of pointing and laughing. And the next day, the teacher shows up with no hair. Yes, you know it's it's amazing, isn't it? And and, and this it's is amazing. just that on a, on, a, on a grand it grand is. grand scale. It is not. It is that on. It's it's showing support. Yeah. For people with blood cancer, saying maybe there's not much else we can do. Uh, to support you, but we can do this and we can raise the funds to be able to help the foundation work towards the best possible outcomes we can and improve quality of life for people with the blood cancer and their families. Well, just knowing you're not alone. That's right. That's the, the, that's like, right. Mum loved, loved her walks yes. I, up in Brisbane. Yes. She would take the little ferry from her apartment in St. Yes. Lucia and she would go to New Farm Park yes. and she says, I've got these, these two lovely ladies that walk next <laughs> either side of me and they, they, they walk yeah. with me and we walk every Sunday and she absolutely loved yes. it. She absolutely loved walking mm. with hundreds and hundreds of other people yes. that were in the same boat. Yes. Yeah. And it was wonderful for mm. her to do that mm. and that, that wouldn't have happened mm. without the uh, Leukemia Foundation, no. you know. And mm. You know, it's just things like that. It's just knowing that you're not by yourself. You don't have to do big things either. You don't have to do big things to support patients and their families. You know, just reaching out, just that that action of reaching out to people and mm. saying, I'm here if there's anything I can do to help you, makes a huge difference to know that they're not alone. I can pick up a phone. I can ring somebody. I can get the information you want. I'm desperate. I can't. Uh, I can't pay my bill this month, and we can we can help you. Mm. I need to talk to somebody in the same boat that I'm in. We can connect. We can connect people. Mm. We can provide a safe environment for you and a home home away from home accommodation. We can provide you with with that to take that that overwhelming burden away from you we are working towards how we can cure this disease we're we're building relationships with international and national organizations so that we can help to support to bring in what is now called individual individualized or personalized 
care. We're not all the same. We're all individuals. So therefore, the old way of just banging in, you know, we'll give this treatment. You've got, you've got X, so therefore you can have this cocktail of treatments. We're not, we're not, we're, we're almost over that era now. We're saying you're different. Your DNA is different. Your immune system is different. So therefore, we need to personalise the type of treatment that we're we're going to give you. There's a huge explosion going out there. It's so exciting. Every time you pick up the paper, I read yesterday uh, coming up about the CAR-T uh, cell therapies where, where um, they're introducing that immunotherapy for leukaemic patients. They're now looking at how can these drugs help other patients su such as brain cancer, what's happening out there is amazing. And thinking thinking of all these young and older researchers, the work that they're doing to be able to really cure this disease is just phenomenal. Every day you pick up the paper, something different's happening. <laughs> so that there's that hope there. There is hope. Yeah. There's hope. And, and one of the things that when you're talking to... Families, patients, people with a blood cancer and, the, and their families, you hear over and over again the strength of the human spirit. It's, it's phenomenal. You, you hear the hope that they have, that there is light at the end of that tunnel. And certainly for the ones that the people that we support, it's always that appreciation of what the foundation has been able to do to support them on their journey. Mm. We can't take away the disease that they have or, you know, the effects of the treatment, but we can provide the education. We can help them to understand. We can provide the support, the grief and the... Because it, grief and loss happens. You don't have to pass away for there to be grief and loss. You, just the mere fact that your whole life has changed, you go through the grief process. Mm. And, you know, just simple things like if I lose my wedding ring or engagement ring, which I did some time ago, boy, was that a, a grief situation for me. I got down on my knees and I prayed to God and said, I will do anything you want <laughs> if you let me find this ring. <laughs> So we go through, on a day-to-day yeah. -day basis, we're often going through a grief and loss situation. Yeah. So, but it's, it's certainly more pronounced when you're in your environment is really yeah. what's happening to you is turned on your head. I've, I have one final question for you. You are, by your own maths, you're 70% of your way through life. Okay? Well, <laughs> chronically, uh, chronologically I might be. Yeah. But uh, physically and how I feel, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Chronologically, you're 70% you're away along your journey. I don't, want to, I don't want to ask in any way preface this question by saying that you're at the end of it. But I would like to say, you've, and I've talked to other people that have done similar jobs, people who do, you know, uh, for example, a job like a lifeguard. Yes. Um, you have an entire life. You started training at 16 um, of, of caring for people. What, what has that brought you in your heart when you lie in bed at night? What has that brought you? 
Oh, I'd have to think about that, but um, because I don't, uh, uh, I don't always. You don't think in those. You don't think in those terms. I, when my father always said, as we grew up, if if you do something for somebody else, don't expect anything in return. Do it because you want to do it. And I guess that. Um, what it's what it's brought me is a certain inner peace, knowing that um, I have. I, I don't think I'm sounding my own trumpet, but I do think that throughout my life I have helped to make a difference, and I think that's that's what's important to me. It hasn't, or things haven't always worked out the way I've wanted them to, or the way I've hoped that they would. But knowing that even though the result wasn't the best, I did the best I could. And I think that the other thing is that I hate the status quo. And I think that's what, that's, it's the challenge. And I love the challenge to be able to say that we've got to move on from here. This is not working. Oh, yes, that was great, but there's better things there's better things um, that we can achieve. And I think that that comes with, I suppose, as I've gotten older, I got a bit lazier in my own personal life, but certainly in the foundation, there is so much more that we can achieve. And that's what, um, that's the fire in my belly. I love it. I'm so glad you came around today, Beverly. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for coming around. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That was Bev Morolo. You can support her and the work she's doing as the chairman of the Leukemia Foundation Australia by going to osh.is slash world's greatest shave. Go there, throw a couple of bucks her way and help out. Because something, it's big. It's something like 35 people today in Australia will find out that they have a blood cancer. That's a lot. 13,000 people every year. It's a lot. It's a lot of people. So you know somebody, I know someone, we all know someone that's been touched by blood cancer. So they do very, very good work. Definitely in curing and definitely in caring, looking for a cure and definitely providing care, as, as Beverly just spoke about. So thank you so much for being here this week. I love that you're here with me every week. Um, fill out that form. You never know, I might send you something. I've got to say thanks to the people that helped me make this show today. My show producer, Hayley Van Spania, made everything happen. The audio production and editing and editorial decision-making by the wonderful Andy Ma, and, of course, the music by the ever-talented Toe Hider. I'm off to jump on my bike, smash out some watts, try and wash off some of this weirdness in my head. Until we speak next time, sleep well. The dream of beautiful things. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.